Our sermon text for this morning comes from the book of Jonah, the fourth chapter. But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. The Lord said, Do you have good reason to be angry? Then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it. There he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. So the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. But God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day, and it attacked the plant, and it withered. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, Death is better to me than life. Then God said to Jonah, Do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, I have good reason to be angry, even to death. Then the Lord said, You had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand, as well as many animals? Dear God, we thank you so much for your word, and we thank you for the way that you speak to us through it. And we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds for the message that Rick will bring us right now. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, so good morning, everyone. I hope that everyone is doing very well. I will say this. um, God has been extremely, extremely good to us. Uh, Like it was mentioned a little while ago, we're in a couple weeks going to be celebrating our two-year anniversary and and it's shocking how much God has done and we're growing and and there's all this good stuff that has happened Uh, I don't think I've ever done this but I'm going to particularly praise God right now for the musicians and the singers that he's provided here I think that after the music we just heard this morning I think we could go home and we're we're good we're we're good that was straight up preaching that was some rendering that was happening, and we always say that, you know, these guys are the worship leaders. We know that it's the Holy Spirit that is the worship leader, and it's just amazing to, to feel the presence of God as God's people are raising up shouts of praise to him and, and shouts of, of acclamation and, and, and affection to him. But anyway, we've got to keep going, and we always, this is still worship. Worship is not just music. We're getting into God's word. That's worship. So if you haven't done so, please turn to the book of Jonah. If you have your Bible with you or your electronic device, it might be a little bit easier than trying to follow the screens. I think we're having some technical difficulties there, but that's all right. Um, But turn to the book of Jonah. It's in the Old Testament. And what we're doing today is that we're finishing up a sermon series. We've been working our way through the story of Jonah. And the the main principle or the main spiritual truth that I've been trying to convey for the last few weeks is simply this, that oftentimes the things that are really worth doing, the things that are really worth doing are oftentimes the things that we initially hesitate to do. Oftentimes the things that are really worth our time, really worth doing, good stuff, we initially hate to do those things. Our, Our tendency... Our human natural tendency is to resist 
doing what it is that God has asked us to do. We hesitate to grab hold, to fully grab hold of the life that God has, has planned for us. So that's the principle, the truth that we've been trying to convey. Here's the challenge. Here's the spiritual challenge that we have been challenged with over the last few weeks. And it's simply this, that we need to be a people who are quick to arise and take steps of faith. We need to be a people to remember, oftentimes the things really worth doing are the things that we hesitate to do. So the challenge is we need to be a people who arise quickly and take steps of faith. The word arise is one of the key words in the story of Jonah. So in, in chapter 1, verse 2, and in chapter 3, verse 2, God says, Jonah, arise. Twice he tells him, arise, meaning, Jonah, I have a really good thing planned for you. I have good plans, good purposes, good intentions for your life. So trust me, listen, right? Follow my directions. Trust me, embrace the things that I have for you. So really, the challenge for us is to resist resisting. For us to stop with all the hesitation, arise, and begin to take these steps of faith and trusting and trusting the Lord. And we need to do that for two reasons. One, why do we need to be a, a people who arise and take steps of faith? One, because of how good God is. Like God is a loving, generous father. We can look over our lives and, and I know that we have had turmoil and strife and all kinds of stuff in our lives, in our past, with our family, etc. We all have that. But in the midst of all of that, God is good. To various degrees, we have health and provision and food on our plate, shelter over our house. There, there, is, there are many, many blessings to count. So if for no other reason than the love of God in our past, we should be quick to arise and take steps of faith. And the other reason, though, is because God has promised good stuff if we are people who arise and take steps of faith. He's made many promises. If you do this... I will add additional blessings upon your life. So here in week one, a few weeks ago, the challenge was to arise in obedience. To arise in obedience. God provides very specific direction to our lives. He gives very specific instruction to us. And if we trust and obey, for there's no other way, if we trust and obey, God promises to bless us with the greatest blessing we could ever asked for, and that is that we would enjoy the company of God, that the presence, the living, loving presence of God will be with us. His active, personal presence will be with us if we arise in obedience. We know that each and every day, with each and every decision, we make a choice, whether to draw near to God or whether to distance ourselves from God. With every decision, when we choose disobedience, when we choose sin, we are choosing to push God away. We're pushing ourselves away from God. But if we choose obedience, we're drawing near to God, and he promises to be there with us, to bless us with his presence. So let us be a people who arise in obedience to maximize the good and loving presence of God in our lives. Sound like a deal? Does that sound good? All right, week number two. The, the challenge was to arise in prayer. So prayer is one of the great blessings, one of the great gifts that God gives to us. 
Prayer is us giving to God our problems and God giving us his peace. That sounds like a really good deal. That's a bargain. Like, you know, on Friday, a lot of you are going shopping for bargains. Like, no, not me. Never me. Like, that is pure awfulness that happens on Friday. All right? So I'm just saying, people are bargain shopping on Friday. This is a bargain. God's saying, give me your problems. I'll give you my peace. That's an exchange. That's a good promise. So in prayer, what we're doing is that we're casting our trials, our troubles, our tribulations, our issues, our drama. We're giving God our drama right? want to invoke our Mary J. Blige, right? No more drama. Like, so here you go. I'm giving you my drama, and then God gives us the peace that surpasses all understanding. So let us be a people who are quick to arise in prayer so that we may maximize the peace of God in our lives. Then last week, week three of the series, the challenge was to arise in repentance. So God is the God of second, third, fourth chances, fifth chances, six chances, and so on. There's no bad decision, no sin, no wrong choice that you've made that God cannot restore. There's no sin in your past that has so janked up your life that God can't redeem it. No matter what we've done, how badly we think we've sinned, how big we think the sin is, there is hope. And there's a way by which we experience this hope. There's a way to receive this new life and a a fresh start, and it's through repentance. And what repentance is, is that we come humbly before God, we confess our sin, so we, we basically acknowledge to God, yes, I was wrong, that what I did was wrong, not only because the consequences were bad, but because it was wrong in and of itself. So I come humbly before God. I agree with you, God. That was, that was incorrect. My bad. We turn from that sin. So in essence, we're renouncing it. We're rebuking the lifestyle. We're turning from that sin, and we're turning to God. We're turning to Christ in faith. That's what repentance is. And what God says is that if you are quick to arise in repentance, you will receive hope. Your life will be restored. Your life will be renewed. So let us be a people who are quick to arise in repentance so that we may have hope in our lives. The hope that comes only at the hands that God's grace can supply for us. So this week, we're getting into like the the last challenge of uh, the series that we're going to get into. What we're talking about today is something that we all struggle with. There's not a person in this room that does not struggle with what we're about to get into. Some of us in this room really, really struggle with what we're getting into this morning. What we're talking about involves, involves one of the things that's the greatest hindrance to our ability to have joy in our life. What we're talking about today is, in essence, something that can imprison us and that can keep us from enjoying peace and, and keep us from enjoying these promises that God desires for us, keep us from experiencing the life, the good life that, that God has planned for us. What we're talking about today is, in essence, a cancer that, if left unchecked, will grow and metastasize and spread and ravage every part of our lives, and it will destroy us unless we first destroy it. So we are in a, in a time where... The Marvel Avengers universe has utterly taken over the planet. Uh, 
And for some of us that are a little kind of childish and geeky, it's cool. Uh, I was never into the comics, but, man, I've gotten into, like, the whole stuff that they're making now. Like, like my favorite show on TV is Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And if you go on Netflix, it is shocking how many cartoons they have that are, like, Avengers. Like, that's all my kids watch, all they watch which I'm thankful. And let me tell you, like, the, the Superhero Squad show, awesome. Like, that's a good cartoon. That's fun to watch. And I, so I'm into the movies, and, I, I got, you know, I, look at, I looked it up recently, and they, when they started, like, the whole project, the Avengers thing, the movies, they, you know, the first one came out in 2008. They mapped it out to 2022. So they've got, like, Thor and Captain America and Hulk and the Avengers movies and, like, Black Panther and all these characters that they're adding, like, for almost 20 years worth of movies and stuff, which is kind of neat. Well, one of my favorite quotes from all of the Avenger movies comes from the first actual Avengers movie, Avengers Assembled. And Bruce Banner, Dr. Bruce Banner, he's the Hulk. And what happens is that he is a very meek, shy, quiet, unassuming, geeky scientist. But when he gets angry, what happens? He becomes the Hulk. And so no one wants to make him angry. And everyone, except for Tony Stark, everyone around him walks on eggshells around Bruce Banner because no one wants to tr him to turn into like some enormous, giant, green rage monster. Well, there's a point in the movie, in that first one, where Bruce Banner is about to tell the Avengers the secret. There, there's a secret to his turning into the Hulk, and they get interrupted. And so you get later in the movie, and this, like, crazy alien force invades the Earth. And of those, there's, like, I don't even know what it is, right? It's, like, this huge, giant, ginormous alien monster that's just barreling down on the Avengers and they're sitting right there and Bruce Banner just very casually just starts walking toward this monster of a alien and Captain America says to him he says Dr. Banner now might be a really good time for you to get angry and he turns very casually and very calmly that's my secret Cap I'm always angry. And just like that, instantaneously he turns into the Hulk. And folks, we're in a room full of a bunch of Hulks and Hulkettes. Folks, all of us are always angry. It is shocking how easy it is for us to get angry, to stay angry, to be angry to react in in anger how easy tomorrow morning you're going to get a bill in the mail a bill that you've been expecting and what's going to happen your child spills a bowl of cereal someone at work loses your tool you get a flat tire this afternoon and i tell you just like that our inner enormous green rage monster comes out and it's hulk smash time just like that. And it's kind of silly and we kind of sort of laugh, but the reality is that that is not healthy. That is not a good way to be. Like these, having this inner rage monster that is within us. It is completely unhealthy to be short-tempered. It's unproductive to be bad-tempered. Folks, it's unattractive to be ill-tempered. 
I, I, there, there's two sins, and it's not because I'm not guilty of them. It's probably because I am guilty of them that I'm particularly repelled by. One is arrogance and pride and condescension. The other one is anger. Like I, it, it's everything in my being to be around an angry person. I, I shut down. I don't want to be near it. it it's, just, it's just something very ugly about someone that's a hothead. I don't want to be around it. And the, the reality is that God does not want us to, to, to live that way. Um, I guess unless you're an avenger, then it's okay to be angry. Like if the, the world needs protecting and, and you need to hook up, then fine. But other than that, it is just not a useful way. It is not helpful. It, it ruins marriages. It hurts our kids. It, it messes with our reputation in the community. I mean, there's all kinds of fallout that happens as a result of being anger. And it really is a cancer that spreads and ravages every part of our life. What, what is anger? Anger is antagonism towards someone that you think, feel, or believe may have hurt you or offended you in some way. Uh, antagonism or anger is wishing ill on someone. It's a, it's a desire for things not to go well towards someone. So you see that anger isn't simply acting out towards someone. It's just even having the attitude or the thought or the daydream. I hope it doesn't go well for them. That, that's, that's anger. It's malice, animosity, bitterness. It's resentment toward a person. Uh, you know, I was really thinking about this this week. Like, what is anger? And you know what it is? When you're angry at someone, regardless of who it may be, whether it's for one second because, you know, someone cut you off on the, on the road, or, or whether we're talking about next level and I'm defriending them on Facebook. Like, that's the ultimate level of anger, right, in this world. Like, regardless of how we display it or whether or not we display it, whether it's for one second or 50 years, you know what anger is? It is utterly rejecting someone. Like, like, Jesus said that to hate someone is equivalent to murder. You know, what is murder? You do not deserve to live. You do not deserve to be on planet Earth. I will cast you from my presence. That when we get angry at someone, what we're doing is that we're banishing that person. That that's what anger, that's what it is. And so long as anger rules in our hearts, so long as anger is our default setting, we will never have joy. They're mutually exclusive. We will never have joy in our lives. So the challenge today is for us to arise in grace, for us to replace anger with grace. Grace is the opposite of, of anger. Uh, grace is protagonism towards someone who you think has hurt you or offended you. It is offering forgiveness to someone it's extending mercy. You know that we talk about the worthwhile things or the things that we usually struggle to do. There are a few things that's worthwhile is offering and extending grace towards someone. And by the same token, there are few things that we struggle with as much. We fight it. We resist it. We hesitate to show grace toward others. So we have a choice this morning, either to remain in our prison of anger or be free of it. And my prayer is that we will arise in grace and that we will take a step of faith and begin to live a life of grace where we're replacing anger with grace. We can be free. We may not be able to be agents of shield, but we can be agents of grace. See what I did there? Some of you caught that. Um, we can be agents of grace. 
people who've received God's grace, who abide in God's grace, and who dispense God's grace. So getting into the story of Jonah, you know that Jonah is the Hulk of the Old Testament? He was an ornery cuss. The dude was all eat up with a bunch of anger. God, um, God tells him to go preach the sermon in this Assyrian city, Nineveh. And the sermon was to warn the people, hey, you got 40 days before God brings destruction on you. And the people listened. They responded. They humbled themselves before God. And God listened to their response and, and, and uh, heeded their repentance. And so what God did is that he showed grace to them. He showed mercy to this entire city. And so what would have been destruction of an entire city, the people are spared from doom. And how does Jonah respond? Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. Jonah says, and it, well, it, greatly, it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. And folks, it wasn't that he just became angry in chapter 4. He was angry the entire time. Now, how, how do I say that? Well, just read verse 2 with me. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was this not what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. So, Here's his argument with God. The reason I disobeyed you was because I know that you're a nice God, which makes no real, no, it doesn't make sense for someone to say that. But then why was Jonah not wanting for God to be gracious to the people of Nineveh? Because he was angry at the people of Nineveh. So again, I'm backing up a little bit. Jonah chapter 1. God tells Jonah, I want you to leave home travel 500 miles, I want you to go to Nineveh, which is one of the key principal cities in the Assyrian Empire. And I want you to preach a very specific sermon while you're there. And you got to take into consideration that the Assyrian Empire was a nasty, brutal enemy of Israel. For about 100 years prior to the story of Jonah, the Assyrian Empire has been all up in Israel's business. They've been sending war parties. They've been confiscating land. They've been confiscating riches. They have been killing Israelite after Israelite after Israelite. And Jonah hates them. Jonah is ticked. He resents them. He's embittered toward them. The last thing he wants is for God to spare these people. He wants God to punish the people. And that just goes to show that the reason he was reluctant to begin in the, be in the first place was out of anger, animosity, resentment, bitterness toward them. You know, that anger has all sorts of terrible consequences in our lives. I mean, it, 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 it gets between husband and wife. It drives wedges between parents and, and their children. Like I said earlier, like it, it can affect your reputation in your neighborhood, in your town, at work. It can affect your employment. You could get fired because of your rage, or at least not get the demotion, or, or, or get, not get the promotion, or, or not get the pay raise. Like there's all sorts of consequences to being this enormous green rage monster. And, but there's one here in the story that, 
that jumps off the page as far as the consequence of our anger, and that is that anger kills our joy. Anger kills our joy. Anger robs us of our capacity to be, to be happy. Anger robs us of our capacity to be happy. So consider what happened in Jonah's life. He goes to this city. These are polytheistic. These people believe in multiple gods. They are idolaters. They do not believe in the one true living God. They are pagan people. They are God-haters. They hate God's people. They are gold medal winning sinners. These are next level wicked people on the planet. He goes there. Jonah goes there. He's got this message. God is going to obliterate you. And they repent. Folks, this is nothing short of a miracle. We're just saying God of miracles. Holy cow. This is an entire city believing in God all of a sudden bowing before God, getting on their knees in repentance before God. And how does God respond to them? He relents. They repent. They relent. It is a next-level miracle. And Jonah should have been rejoicing at what he saw. He should have been praising God. God, only you are this merciful. Only you are this loving. He should have been glad for the Ninevites. You have been spared for you've been spared from calamity. And he's angry. Clearly, anger kills our joy. You know, several years ago, I'm, at, I'm on staff at a different church. And uh, this couple starts coming to the church. Um, she claimed to be a Christian. He wasn't. Uh, they struggled in their marriage. And the reason that they struggled in their marriage is because he just, he was a bad husband. I, I'm talking about really bad husband. Treated his wife really poorly. Total jerk. Total jerk. They're coming to church. He accepts the gospel. He comes to Jesus, right? He gives his life to the Lord. And it was such a good thing to get to watch. Like he starts taking steps of faith. He became one of our best children's Sunday school teachers. To watch him was amazing. Kids loved him. It was just a cool thing to see God working in his life. And so some time passes and they ask for some marital counseling. I'm like, all right. And what I'm fully expecting to happen when we sit down is for them to say that his former ways of jerkiosity are still alive and well, and he hasn't gotten over all of that, and so he needs to, to figure out how to work this out. And what I heard was generally one of the, the, the most shocking things I've ever heard. I've, I've been in the ministry a good enough amount of time. I'm rarely, if ever, shocked. This is one of those uh, drop-a-jaw moments where it's like, what? What is that? And, and what she told me was, it's not fair. He should have to pay for how he used to be. It's too easy. He found Jesus, and now he's off the hook. What happened with this lady is that she was so embittered by how he used to be that she could not rejoice that he was going to spend 
eternity with Christ. She was mad that he wasn't going to spend eternity in hell. That's bitterness. That's anger. She, she, her resentment warped her to the point that she couldn't see that her husband had become and was continuing to become a better man. That God was working in, in his heart, changing him. She couldn't, she couldn't see that. All she wanted was for him to pay. That's all that she wanted was for him to pay. And that's why they were in counseling. That's why they asked to meet with me. Because if God wasn't going to make him pay, she was going to make sure that she reminded him every day of how bad he used to be. She was going to make sure he got his. She was so embittered, she couldn't be joyful. She couldn't be happy. And by extension, no one else in her home could be either. That what we have to understand is that anger lies to us. It lies to our heart. It fills us with a sense of self-righteous indignation. It makes us to where it, justify, it justifies us in treating someone badly or talking down to someone or punishing them, getting them back. And what, what bitterness does is that it fuels our pride. It makes us feel as if we're judge and jury and we can treat someone with like punitive malcontent. What it, what it does is that anger and animosity, it blinds us to where we can't be happy if we see God working in the life of another for the good. What anger does is that it keeps us in a prison of, of victimness, victimhood. Because we're always thinking of ourselves as the poor little victim as opposed to the conqueror in Christ. What, what anger and animosity and resentment does is that it distorts our sense of fairness to where it actually puts us in a place where we would be happy to see God open up a can on someone as opposed to be gracious to them. That that's, what, that's what anger does to us. It kills joy, and folks, that is not a good way to live. And God offers us a much better way to live. We don't need to settle for a prison of anger. We can be free and it's true we're all like Jonah we're all like the Israelites we all have our Nineveh we all have people who have hurt us and offended us and attacked us harmed us but we have a choice either I can let anger rule in my heart or I can let grace renew my heart I can either hold on to a spiteful heart or I can grab on to a forgiving heart a heart that would be glad to see God live, working in the life of another for the good. So the question is, do you need to arise in grace this morning? Do you need to arise and take a step of faith and let go of a past hurt? Do you need to come before God and confess that you're holding on with bitterness because someone hurts you in your in your past and then ask for God's grace to forgive them is there someone in your life that you need to pray for that God would work in their life for the good not for the bad do you need to arise in grace today if you will take these steps of faith 
and replace and begin replacing anger with grace, God promises to usher you into joy, to bring joy to your heart. So, like I've said in this room, a bunch of hulks, a bunch of hulkettes, right? bunch of short-tempered, ill-tempered, bad-tempered cusses and cussets all up in here. We know this. We are all angry all of the time. We are all South Pole elves. According to the movie Elf, South Pole elves are the angry variety, the, the angrier variety of elf. So we're all South Pole elves in this room. And we know that that's not a good way to live. It's one of the reasons we struggle to have joy. It's all this anger. We're, we're quick to respond. We're quick to show our rear. We know that's not good. No bueno. We need to replace the anger with grace, but isn't that not much easier said than done? Is it not? Much easier said than done. So what do we do? How do we do this? Like, is there hope? Like, can we actually replace our anger with grace? Is this achievable? Well, let, let's go to some maybe potentially helpful sources because the, the, the world does teach us some very handy anger management techniques. And so I went to the American Psychological Association to see how they potentially would offer us some, some good practical advice for how to, to, to manage our anger and how to keep our anger at bay. And so they begin with breathe from the diaphragm, breathe from the diaphragm, and maybe practice some yoga, some non-strenuous yoga, in essence, relax. So this is what I would consider the, the Frankie Goes to Hollywood approach to, to managing your anger. Some of you got the reference. I'll keep going. All right. Then they say, here's another key way of doing it. Like limit the, situ the situations that elicit your anger, a.k.a. avoidance. All right. Well, I guess that might work. And then here's another one. Use humor. Use lots of humor when something bad happens. Don't get angry. But use humor. So this, this is kind of like the, the sing I feel pretty approach to managing your anger. Uh, here's another one that they, they throw out there is prioritize me time. Folks, I'm going to throw this as a grenade out in the room, and I'm going to leave it there and let the shrapnel fly where it may. I'll come back to it maybe some other time in the future uh, and address this. I'm going to launch this grenade right here right now. Do not send me any emails. Me time is unbiblical. Moving on. Oh, some people just like, what? What? Me time. Dude, don't get me started on me time. It is not, not a biblical way of dealing with anger. Moving on. So this is how the world, these are some like practical worldly uh, advice to how to deal with anger, how to manage our anger. You want to know what the problem with all that is? We don't need to manage our anger. We need to eliminate our anger. We don't need to control our anger. We need to extract our anger. It's a cancer. And cancer on its own metastasizes. It spreads. It affects every portion of someone's life. And you don't control cancer. You don't manage cancer. You excise cancer. And the good news for us is that the cancer of anger can, in fact, be removed from us. 
How? By growing in the knowledge and in the appreciation of God's grace. Growing in the knowledge, deepening our knowledge and appreciation of God's grace. And that is, in fact, what God does for Jonah or attempts to do for Jonah in in Jonah chapter 4. He's trying to teach him a lesson on what grace is. So in verse 4, God asks a simple question. He says, do you have good reason to be angry? Do you have good reason to be angry? And in verse 5, Jonah, he goes out of the city. He goes, finds a place to overlook the city. He tries to make himself a little bit of a shelter there. And it's a good opportunity maybe to ponder the question, do you have good reason to be angry? But instead, it tells us there that he watches over the city. I, genuinely, I get the impression that what he's doing is that he's seeing to see if they would mess up because just in case, then God would take them out and he would have a front row seat. And then in verse 6, God miraculously grows this plant, this plant in one day. Like this story is full of miracles. In one day, God grows this plant big enough to provide shade for Jonah. That's pretty cool. And Jonah is happy. He's extremely happy is what the text says. He's thrilled out of his mind. He's sitting out in the desert. So shade is a good thing. It's a very, very good thing. Verse 7, God commands this one little single worm to come in at night. One worm. Eat the plant sufficiently that the entire thing withers in one night. And the next day cannot provide any shade for Jonah. And in verse 8, God turns up the heat, literally. So he takes away the shade, and then he sends a scorching heat And the sun is beating down on the head of Jonah, and he gets ticked. He's angry. He's mad. In verse 9, God basically re-asked the question. Do you have any good reason to be angry? And this time, specifically, he says about the plant. And Jonah says, yeah. I do. I have all kinds of reasons. I am so justified in my anger. You know what? I'm so right about being angry. I might as well just be dead. That's how right I am, which doesn't make sense. But anyway, that's what he's saying. And look at how God responds to him in verse 10 and 11. You had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons? You know, there's at least two truths to glean from what just happened there. That if we grew in this knowledge, if we grew in this appreciation, would actually begin to extract the anger out of us. The, The first thing is that God's grace is undeserved. God's grace is undeserved. Jonah no more deserved God's grace than the Ninevites. In fact, Jonah deserved the punishment that he wanted the Ninevites to receive. Jonah was a sinner just like the Ninevites. And in the story, we see his sin. Like, he had, like, rebelled against God. He rejected God. He he purposely did not obey God. And 
what we saw earlier in the story is that God is gracious to him, right? He's drowning in an ocean. God sends a fish to swallow him, to save him. So we know that God has been gracious to him, but specifically here in these verses, God grows up this little plant or big plant to show him what grace is. Like, you don't deserve this. I don't owe this to you, Ona. Like, Jonah, like, like how wonderful it is that I'm just giving you this shade, this relief from the heat. And, and then what God does to teach him what, what he does deserve, he removes the plant. He removes the shade, and he turns up the heat of judgment on him. So what's the point? The point, folks, is this. We are surrounded by people who do not deserve our grace. And that's the point. Grace is, by definition, unmerited, undeserved. It is a free act of love. It is a free gift of love for the good of another person. So why should Jonah, why should any of us be angry when we see God act generously and graciously towards someone? We should rejoice. We should rejoice anytime we see a stunning God be merciful toward anyone in any way. It should drive us to our knees in praise. And why should Jonah or any of us ever be angry when God himself has been loving to us, when God has been gracious and gentle with us? Grace is undeserved. And another principle to glean here from the story that may help us to grow in the knowledge and the appreciation of the gospel is that God delights in being gracious. So grace is undeserved. God delights in being gracious. Jonah is ticked because this plant had been destroyed. He's mad. He didn't plant it. He didn't water it. He didn't tend to it. He had nothing to do with this plant. And he gets sad and mad and upset when the plant perishes. Well, if Jonah is upset over something he had nothing to do with, how much more upsetting is it to God for any person made in his image to perish. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 4 says, God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. God's heart is to see men, women, children saved. It brings joy to God to be gracious, merciful, loving, gentle, it brings joy to God. How much joy? How much joy does it bring God to be merciful to you, to me, to all of us? Enough that the Father sent the Son, sent him to a cross, nailed him to a wood, placed your sin and my sin upon his shoulders, and crushed him tells us in Isaiah 53 that it pleased God to crush Jesus for our sin. That's how much joy it brings God to be gracious to us. Enough that Jesus was willing to be tortured and mocked and flogged and slapped and spat upon, to have those nails driven through his hands and his feet, to bleed upon a cross and breathe his last breath 
That is how much joy it brings to God's heart to see anyone come to salvation and receive forgiveness. You know, if anyone had a right to condemn someone for maltreating them, it was Jesus. Innocent Jesus. If anyone had a right to punish someone, it was Christ. And what does he say on the cross? Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. If anyone has a right to punish us for our lies and for our gossip and for our addictions and for our abuse and for our malice and our slander and our greed and our jealousy, our lust, our pride, our selfishness, if anyone has a right to be angry, it is God. And he says, here is my son. I will sacrifice him. That's how much I love you. That's how much joy it brings to the heart of God. And just know this morning that if there is anyone in here who has never received the grace of God, you can receive it right now where you are, where you are sitting. You can be transformed into a brand new person. God's heart, his delight is to see all of us find relief under the shade of the cross of Christ. His grace is undeserved. It is his joy to be that way to us. So if you have not done so, if you have never embraced Christ as your Lord, as your Savior, your God, your King, your friend, I ask you to arise in faith, to take a step of faith. Would you receive forgiveness and pardon from the Lord? You will never experience joy until you take that first step. We can never receive joy until we bring joy to the Lord in faith. And what do we do once we take that step, that first step of salvation? What do we do? What do we go from there? Well, God's grace always causes us to take another step. God's grace is always compelling us to take another step. What is the next step? And the next step for all of us who say that we are followers of Jesus is to take the next step following Jesus, to actually walk as followers, to, to live as disciples of Christ. In, in ancient times, back in the day, there was a Jewish custom, a Jewish blessing that got prayed over anyone when they became a disciple of a rabbi. And that, that blessing was, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Meaning, may you walk so closely to your rabbi May you follow so closely in his steps that as he walks and his sandals kick the dust off the ground, that it covers you. And folks, it should be the same for anyone who says that they are a follower of Jesus, that we should walk so closely with Christ that we're covered in his dust. In essence, we're covered with love and with grace and with mercy so that his grace replaces our anger so that we're able to forgive, so that we're able to be happy when it goes well for someone, so that we're able to pray for the good of an individual, so that we, we may be filled with joy. Are you covered in the dust of our good rabbi? Are you covered in the dust, the love, and the faith of Christ? The story ends with a question, really. Do you have any good reason to be angry? The Lord knows that many of us in this room have been victims to all sorts of injustice 
and maltreatment in our lives. God knows better than you do how poorly someone has treated you and they've hurt you or a loved one. God knows. God also knows that it is not in our good interest to stay in that place. God knows that what is for our good is for that anger and that resentment and bitterness to be cast off and to be replaced by grace. So that last question, do you have any good reason to be angry, is really a a challenge. Will you arise in grace? Will you take a step of faith Let go of the hurt. Give it to the Lord. Let go of it. Let him bring restoration to your life. Will you forgive whoever it is that has harmed you, no matter what it was? If you do so, you'll begin to experience joy, real joy, abounding joy in your life. It'll change your marriage. It'll change your parenting. It'll change every relationship you've been in. It'll change your work environment. It'll change how you interact with your neighbors. It'll change how you look at the government. It'll change every aspect of your life. It'll change how you view church and church people. It'll affect you for the good. Will you arise in grace this morning? I'm going to ask you all to just bow your heads and close your eyes. And for you to just respond to the Lord where you are. I'm going to ask the, the praise team. They're going to walk forward. They're going to go ahead and play our closing song. And with, with all heads bowed and with all eyes closed, I want just you where you are, just in the silence of your heart, you pray to the Lord. How do you need to respond this morning? And as they sing, if you're done praying, stand where you are and join them in the song. If you want to pray the whole time because you need to confess and repent because you have bitterness that you need to let go of, that's fine. Pray the whole time. If you want to come forward and take a knee up here as a a visual sign, a demonstration of actually arising and taking a a step of faith and repentance and and asking for God's grace, then just come up here. I'll be kneeling up here. Join me if that's you. But may we be a people today that are quick to arise in the grace that God so freely offers.